We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. Bills have to be careful here. No timeouts. Peterman to the end zone. It's caught by Benjamin. Touchdown. Bills from their own 39. Webb. Boy, Sheard nearly getting there. Webb has a man. It is caught. Deontay Thompson with an incredible catch. Here's McCoy breaking a tackle. McCoy into the end zone, and Buffalo wins it. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was our boy, Spiro Didis from CBS Spiro. Sports. <laughs> he has not called a Bills game all season. I know, and I didn't get to hear it. Yeah, because you're at the stadium. <laughs> like an idiot. Oh, man, folks, what a week. What a weekend. What a memorable game. There's just, there's too much here to talk about tonight. I know usually we, Chris and I try to engage in some witty banter, but honestly, he's an idiot. <laughs> And I'm not that witty. So let's get right into the Bills News Update. Nathan Peterman in the concussion protocol. Tyrod day-to-day. And Joe Webb is Joe Webb. Who plays quarterback for the Buffalo Bills this week? Logan Thomas. (laughs) For everyone out there who spent time bitching and complaining, about the quarterback play that the Buffalo Bills have gotten from the guys in the roster, or who have taken time out of their days to go on social media and argue with other people about, I don't know, who was better, Tyrod or Peterman. Sunday probably had you ready to throw yourself down the stairs. You couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> throw Peterman into that because it's snowing, and it, all you're supposed to do when it's snowing is you hand the ball off. That's it. It's your only option. You can't throw... You can't run in what seemed to be like nine to ten inches of snow on the field. Well, this is the way it all played out. I mean, you've got Tyrod inactive on Sunday with his knee injury. Nathan Peterman got the start under center against the Colts. I think he played well. He threw a touchdown. 
He got the bills on the board prior to halftime. And then ends up with the concussion that forced Joe Webb into action under center. A guy who's been playing special teams all season. A few days later, I still don't know what's actually going to take place here. Now, during his weekly press conference, McDermott told the media that based on the medical reports he's gotten so far, he's comfortable with the team's quarterback depth chart. Now, that statement alone, that's a positive sign. Yes, because that means we're not signing Colin Kaepernick. He's (laughs) out saving the world. No, it also means we're not going to go shopping for some guy like, I don't know, Wenning? Some Some guy named Wenning? Or I saw a list on some website somewhere where they were like, here's the quarterbacks that the Bills could sign. And RG3's name was on there, and I had to to just fight the urge to put my fist through the computer screen. Jeff Tool. Like, where's Jeff Tool? I, like, <laughs> the, ultimately, that is a huge kind of a confidence booster for fans. The, the team isn't panicking. They don't see a need to go out and sign a street-free agent, which means that they know that one of their two guys – you know, two, two, two of the top guys on the depth chart are going to be healthy enough to play on Sunday. But that leads to the question, who is going to start? Now, first and foremost, the idea of Joe Webb under center for a full game is a non-starter for me. I mean, unless you actually want to lose this football game. He's this year's Thad Lewis. <laughs> he is not Thad Lewis. He could Joe Webb couldn't hold Thad Lewis's jockstrap. Webb is not going to scare anybody. He's got two, he had two completions for 35 yards, most of which came on one singular play on Sunday. He's a fine emergency option in the event that you got to pull a Willie Beeman because everybody and their mother got injured in the same 10-minute span of a football game. But he's a special teams player, and I'm okay with that, but nothing more than that. That's the guy that he's designed to be, and if he's anything more than that, I can't. I, I won't go. I won't go. Mark my words. If Joe Webb is our starter, I will not go. To the game? To the game. You're full of shit. <laughs> it, there's no way Peter... The, the way the NFL's been handling concussions lately, there's no way Peterman's going to be active on Sunday. Are you crazy? There's no way. Look at how many other... Play- nope. Trey White had a concussion, and he was active. So right there, that his, I, I just took a big pin head, and I popped your balloon. His headshot was not as bad as Peterman's. Okay, so now you are the now you are the king of headshot analysis and concussion protocol. You yes. just sit over there and produce the podcast. <laughs> yes, there's no way Peterman plays. I guarantee it. Now you look Seagram's. At- How about that? Seagram's. Well, this is the thing about Peterman, though. He's in. A, he'll be inactive. No, no. When you look at Peterman versus Tyrod and how they've performed this season, Tyrod, for all of his ups and downs, is the most physically gifted of the three quarterbacks on our roster. But at the same time, we've seen it. We've heard the words come out of defenders' mouths. He is easy to all but erase from a game with just some quality game plan and film study. And if his agility isn't where it needs to be because of that knee injury, then he'll be missing his biggest asset, which is his ability to get out of the pocket and extend plays with his feet. If he can't do that, then he is... I would say he is what his stats say he is, which is a 38th. What is it? Yards per game. He's a 38th quarterback over the last three years. That's who he is. And if you take it with his legs, if you take his legs away from him, what is Tyrod Taylor? Trash. <laughs> now, are you now? Are you going to take me up on the Seagrams? No, because it's stupid. Because you know I'm right. Because you don't know anything about concussions. Because you know I'm right that Peterman will be inactive. You've got Peterman. 
Yes, he threw five interceptions this season. Everybody saw it. Everybody railed on him for it. He was put into a start on the road in a hostile environment against a defense that has been one of the hottest in the NFL to, to even today to this point. It's, it's Los Angeles and Jacksonville for the two, I think, strongest playing defenses right now. Maybe not talent-wise, but the Chargers are finding ways to get things done. And it's got them right back in the, right back into the wild card discussion. On Sunday, Peterman stepped in and was unbelievably efficient, even if it didn't look like it if you were at home watching the football game. I mean, if you don't believe me, you got to trust the statistics. He finished with a passer rating of 100.8. And according to Pro Football Focus, seven of his 10 pass attempts were directly on target and catchable balls. You throw in three drops by wide receivers in a shit game plan by Rick Dennison, which we are, go- oh, believe me, we're going to get into in a second. And I think Peterman did a fine job when you consider the circumstances. So that's the question this week for Bills fans out there everywhere. Who is the starting quarterback this week for the Buffalo Bills? I mean, at this juncture with the season on the line and a must-win game at home, on home field, against a team fresh off probably the biggest victory of their season, who do you trust? It's going to be Joe Webb. <laughs> if it's Joe Webb, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to drink my face off and leave at halftime so I can make it home in time to watch the Steelers play the Patriots. That's what's going to happen if Joe Webb is under center for this football team. My blood pressures are... Chris, I, I promised I wasn't going to yell. I, <laughs> you can't... Dude, you can't... Look what you're doing to me! You, we're still... We haven't done our eulogy yet, which means we're still in the playoff hunt. Your fandom... Oh, good, so let's roll out Willie Beeman. Your, let's roll out, roll out Willie Beeman. Your fandom is still there. You're going to yell no matter what. You yell all the time. I yell... That, that is true. That is true. I do yell all the time. You know where I did a lot of yelling this week? Was at the game. And that leads us right into this week's Week 14 recap. The Buffalo Bills. Oh, the Buffalo Bills over the Indianapolis Colts. Let me start by running down the statistics of the game that stuck out to me. First and foremost, all quarterbacks, all quarterbacks who played, combined 18 of 38 for passing. Good for 47%. Two touchdowns. One interception and 47 yards rushing. LaShawn McCoy, 32 attempts, 156 yards, the game-winning touchdown, and 4.87 yards per carry. 97 combined rushing attempts, which is the most in franchise history for a game played here or at the games have been the game that the Bills have been involved with. Between Frank Gore and LaShawn McCoy and every other running back on the rosters, 97 combined rushing attempts. That's absurd. Linebacker snaps. Matt Milano, 72%, good for 10 tackles, 9 solo, which led all defensive players on the field. Ramon Humber, 28%, 0 tackles. And then there's the weather. The game time temperature was 32 degrees with a wind chill of 16 the winds were gusting up to 20 miles an hour. Eight inches of snowfall during the game and 16 total from about 6 a.m. until about 8 p.m. I mean, that's just incredible. And I guess if I'm going to recap this game, i got to start at the beginning. The atmosphere. I mean, make no mistake, this is one of these games I look forward to having kids just so someday I can show them video of this game 
this game online and tell them, hey, I was there. Okay, I stuck this thing out. A lot of you follow us on Twitter might already know this, but I arrived at our usual tailgating spot to set up our uh, tailgate party just a little bit after 6.30 in the morning. One of the guys that I have season season tickets with just bailed on the game completely because he's an ass. And the other guy brought his wife who didn't want to come to the game early, so they didn't show up until about 9 o'clock. But how do you go into a game like this without a solid party and warm food beforehand? You can't. So by myself, I fought through the 30 mile an hour wind gusts to get the tent up, unpacked the grills and all the tables and just got everything. I mean, you can see the pictures over at our Twitter handle at Rockpile Report. I literally single handedly put this tailgate together in the wind, in the weather, and it sucked. I'm not going to lie to you. There's no glamour to be had here. That sucked ass. By the end of the tailgates, how uh, that's when the storm really hit. Snow was coming down in sheets, and literally, now my lot is on, it's 5330 Big Tree Road. It is directly next to Lot 1, off 20A, next to the Bill Stadium. It's, it's, it's direct- also next to the field house. No, it's directly adjacent. The guy that we, the lot that we park in, the guy sold a third of his lot to the Bills to, to put on the outdoor facility for the field house. That's how close we are to the stadium. From my lot, I could not see the stadium at 12.15 when we were trying to head in. I had to change my gloves because my first pair was already soaked. I had to fight my luchador mask on to keep the wind off my face. And I just set off. You know, Nothing was plowed. Nothing was shoveled. You just trudged off in the direction that you assumed the stadium was in. My seats are in section 200, which is the upper-level scoreboard side of the field. During the first half, there was a 30-minute stretch where my buddy and I couldn't see past the 10-yard line. Couldn't. And I I don't even know if it's the 10-yard line because I couldn't see it. We literally, you know, you saw a couple plays, and then they disappeared into this mist. And then all you could hear was some people cheering, some people booing, and you just had to wait. You were just staring into a white curtain and waiting for the announcer to tell you who carried what and what the end result of the play was and to watch the down and distance change on the video boards. I mean, it was incredible. I have never seen snow like this before in my entire life. I mean, the bleachers, you couldn't sit. Snow filled up underneath everybody. And and our our section, I mean, whoever shoveled that did did a piss poor job which I don't blame the Bills for. I mean, they were trying to give away tickets to get people to shovel, but you're not going to get people to show up when you're selling tickets to the game for five bucks. Oh, hey, I'll give you a free ticket if you come shovel for six hours, or you could just buy one for $5. I know where my money's going. But, I mean, that game, it was incredible. Like, just being there. The stands are filled with snow, so no one could sit, unless you were literally willing to put a blanket around you and just let yourself get piled over with snow. (laughs) And the wind was blowing so hard that my sunglasses just kept filling up with snow. I had to take them off and try to pry the snow out from underneath them so I could keep staring off into this white sheet, hoping to get a glimpse of some real football. It was chaos. I mean, Vinatieri missed a 33-yarder that even the camera crew couldn't really get a good view of. Yeah, they showed the, I mean, I was watching the game here at my place. They they couldn't, they just showed the norm the normal uh, sideline view. They couldn't show an end zone view because you couldn't see the uprights. So it would have been 
whoever whoever was the the whoever the producer is for CBS, you know, shout out to them for for knowing to put a better camera angle on because you couldn't even see the goddamn field goal posts. No, this this game was a, a modern. This is like textbook. Like they should teach this. The what the job the production crew did to actually get some of this game on TV. They should teach courses about this in college. Like they should use this as part of their study and be like, "Look, this is how you just work. You work on the fly. You make you find a way to produce something great." Now, if for well, for anybody that watched the game, they saw Tasker was working the sidelines. Tasker said this was the worst game he'd ever seen here. And he played here for like what, 11 <laughs> years? He and he's lived here. Yeah. He's lived here since 86. I mean, so then you go to after halftime, right? My friend disappears with his wife. <laughs> I think he tried to call me, but it was snowing so hard. I don't know if you, any of you out there saw the tweet. I literally tried to take video inside of the bowl and couldn't do it. The feed kept cutting out. The phone, my, my touchscreen was useless because it was wet. Every time I pulled it out of my pocket, it would just get wet. The, the snow was coming, and it was different types of snow. Early on, it was just... You know, it was just wind whipping you and snow, kind of, you know, big fat flakes. Then as the game went on, the snow got wet. It turned into that heavy, wet snow that kind of sticks. It gets your jacket wet. It gets your gloves wet. I, my friend and his wife just didn't show up for the second half. So I had no choice but to assume that they went home. And and God bless him. I mean, he just won massive brownie points with his wife that he left a Bills game to take her home. I mean, that's the right call, right? I mean, Chris, would you bring a female to a game like that? No. If no. I was if I was your buddy and she was like, yeah, yeah let's go home, I would have been like, all right, here are the keys. I'll get an Uber. I'll get an Uber. So I'm alone. I'm freezing, increasingly soaking wet, and the game went on. And when the Colts scored in the end zone right in front of me, I thought I that had to be the end of the game. And I'll admit, I, even as I was frustrated, there was, just, I mean, you've seen, you people out there who follow our podcast and follow us on Twitter know the explosions that I have over these types of things. Even with all that frustration just churning around inside my guts, I did feel a little bit of relief because it just meant that the game was going to be over. You know, when I saw that two-point conversion and I saw the guy walk in, I was frustrated, but I knew it was ending. One late flag, an interception, and a venetary field goal miss. We were going to overtime, and something inside of me just snapped. I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Sitting through the game to that point reminded me a lot of being at the Denver game earlier this season with Chris. It was literally coming down to not just being able to stomach the the product on the field, but actually physically being able to withstand the elements. How long can you endure? That's what it was. People were abandoning the game. You know, people, everyone who hadn't left started leaving at the start of overtime. I got to tell you, I, it took a lot out of me. My gloves and jacket were soaked all the way through. I lost my hat at some point. My, my hat was gone. It, I mean, you're, you're talking about, and even with my Carhartt on and the new boots that I just bought, the new winter boots, I had no feeling in my toes. And then I took a look around. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I got to get out of here. And behind me was this woman, 82, 83 years old with a blanket wrapped around her, probably half of my weight. 
she's with a bunch of teens, maybe early 20s. You know, I'm assuming they're, they got to be your grandkids. And they just kept calling, Nan, we got to go. Nan, you know, let's get out of here. And her response was, but they could still win. She goes, no, the Bills could still win. And she wrapped her blanket around her and just sat there and shivered. And I thought to myself, I'm like, if this old lady is going to sit here and watch the rest of this game, I'm not leaving. I can't. I can't in good conscience walk out of here if she's sticking around. I stripped off my jacket. I stripped off my gloves and proceeded to run the bleachers, just trying to fire people up and trying to get some blood pumping again because I needed to get warm. It was incredible. And I'll tell you. I have never seen people react so positively to some maniac in a mask yelling at them. People were taking photos with me. People thought it was people thought it was hysterical, and I don't know how. I literally don't know how. I'll, I'll tell you this: I didn't get excited when Deontay Thompson caught that pass. I didn't because in my head I'm like, okay, it's a big play, but I've seen big plays and I've seen Vinatieri, who is the best kicker. You know, Hauschka is a great kicker, but Vinatieri is the best winter kicker ever, and he's missed him from about this range. So I'm not about to get excited. Yeah, but we have Reed. We do have Reed, who played his balls off. He can snap the shit out of that ball. But on the play, okay, with the Colts lined up, single high safety on the final play, and I saw Richie Incognito hit the second level and just manhandle that linebacker, I immediately started cheering And I didn't even need to see him break the plane to know that we won the football game. Just the noise that came out of just a handful of people who were left was incredible. For for as few people were in the stadium, it was incredibly loud. And I mean, I got to tell you, I got emotional. I I mean, I I did. Wow, wow, really? Drew emotional? I screamed myself hoarse. I teared up. I was high-fiving strangers. I got head-butted by some guy. In what I think was like a like supposed to be camaraderie, he grabbed me by the shoulder, headbutted me, and then high fived me, and like just ran away up the bleachers. <laughs> it was chaos. It was chaos in the stadium. It was fantastic. I grabbed our usher and picked him up off the ground, and he was just like, "Drew, you're a lunatic. Go home. Put a jacket on and go home." Ugh. And and the whole walk back to the truck. You know what I mean? As your adrenaline's fading, you're realizing how cold and wet you are. The one thing I kept thinking to myself is that this, this is what Marv Levy was talking about when he had that iconic, when he made that iconic statement, when it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. This was about this type of team and the type of fans. I mean, we are who he's talking about. And it was great to hear Kyle Williams talk about it to open up his press conference. You know what? Before before I answer a question, I want to say that our fans and the people here are the toughest damn people in the world. And they are the why I've been here so long and the reason I enjoy being here so much. They deserve as much credit as anybody, and I love being here. I love playing for those guys. It's amazing. Kyle Williams, BuffaloBills.com, post-game interview. How can you not love Kyle Williams? Somebody tell how can you not like him? Chris, I love this damn football team. Sunday I made my peace with it. For as much as I bitch and moan, I love these guys. I'll walk through. I'll walk through fire apparently for these guys. When it, I'll I'll survive. I'll sit through the drought. I'll sit through the hottest game ever, and I'll sit through the snowiest game ever. Apparently, I deep down in my bones, whether I want to admit it or not, love this football team to a point that I'm <laughs> that, that that's almost kind of frightening. 
Oh, God. So now let's get into the real recap of this thing. The talk on social media and apparently on the radio for the last few days has been McDermott's decision to punt on fourth and one from the opponent's end of the field. I get it. It's a very Moronian kind of approach to the game of football that fans and pundits tend to hate on because it doesn't seem aggressive enough. By a coach, you know, it doesn't seem like a good play call for a coach who's trying to put a game away. Yeah, we need to get in the playoffs. We need to win. Okay. Be aggressive. Okay. Be, be, be aggressive. See, he's used to cheering, folks. See, he's got a skirt and some pom-poms somewhere. I know it. Honestly, given the flow of the game, I have fewer questions about that call than I do about the way the game was called by Rick Dennison. And almost feel like he may actually be the one, he may be one of the biggest contributing factors to all of this. Now, I get it. A lot of you out there already realize that I am very much biased when it comes to Rick Dennison. But hear me out and see if you can at least acknowledge that there may be, maybe my assessment carries a little bit of merit here. Follow me. First and foremost, I've got, th- I've got three questions for Rick Dennison that I'd really like an answer to. First, why did we not attempt to utilize more screen passes to running backs? Chris, for the first time all season, not a single running back recorded a target in the passing game. To me, when you think about what the weather is and the personnel that we have at the running back position and the people that we had playing quarterback, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. Honestly, I like how you use the word, the personnel we have at running back. LaShawn McCoy. That's it. Travaris Cadet is still a pass catcher out of the backfield. He proved it with the Saints. He's done it in in this couple games that he's been with the Bills. He's caught passes out of the backfield and turned into positive yardage. I still don't trust him. To spend an entire game not targeting a single running back with a pass in a game where you know that downfield passing is going to be difficult because you can't fucking see. Sorry. Sorry. I'm going to try to bring it back in. You can't see. So let's not throw screens at the running back. Let's not throw wheel routes after running a clear out with a running uh, with a wide receiver. Let's not do any of that. Let's ignore this one extremely talented pool, you know, ex- group of players on our roster. Let's just exclude them from the passing game altogether. That sounds like a really progressive way to play NFL football in 2017. Jesus Christ. Second, Why were we only aggressive on the sole touchdown drive and literally not again until overtime? Well, once, once the Sean broke out and we were trying to see if we can get in, you know, run a couple of times, see if we can break one out. And uh, Juan had talked about wanting to get to this one scheme that he thought Sean could do. And once he busted a couple of us out, got us into position and certainly want to take advantage of that. So, uh, Gave, her, gave us a chance one-on-one with Kelvin, and um, Nathan made two good throws. Rick Dennison, BuffaloBills.com. You, so, so, so that was your mindset. Oh, well, we had some plays that we thought LaShawn could do real well at, and then when they got us in position, we took some throws. Throw the ball! Jesus Christ! Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team playing a team that's won three fucking games. <sighs> Chris, do you have a rebuttal? Am I wrong? I mean, that's honestly the only time. Like, I don't even consider them to be aggressive 
in overtime. They're not. And maybe and maybe that was because the throw to Deontay Thompson was the only aggressive play I saw in the second half. Okay, but them not being aggressive in overtime is probably just stated in the punting on fourth and one. Like no, no, but, I can't but, see. I can't see past that. But 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 that happened. Okay, so the reason you punt on fourth and one, the fir- first and foremost, that leads me to my last question. Okay. Why are we constantly playing a three-down game while watching the Colts go for it on and convert on fourth down when it mattered? Late in the game, while attempting to put points on the board, the Colts drastically shifted their game plan for their final two drives. They, they called offensive plays specifically to get them to fourth and one, fourth and two, and make a manageable fourth down. Rather than trying to get 10 yards in three plays. They, f- they finished the game three of four on fourth down conversion attempts. Okay? And a lot of that came on the final drive. All three were on the final drive. So do you know how incredibly frustrating it is to watch that? Knowing that the Bills have no thought of even trying to replicate that approach, even if they get the ball back. Even though they, we arguably have a better offensive line, and a better running back stable than anything that the that the Colts can stop. Now, here's the one thing that I keep going back to. When you talk about why didn't he go for it on fourth down, maybe if Dennison had been more aggressive in his play calling and more successful during the course of the game and in it just instilled a little bit of faith in his head coach that we can run and convert successful plays on fourth down. Mind you, the Bills were 0 for 2 at that point. They'd already I, had, feel, I feel like we went our two fourth down plays. It, it seems like they, those were in the first quarter. But they went they went for it twice on fourth down. Yeah, I, I'm saying that they did that okay. in, in the first and quarter. At, and so look at the play call that got drafted up. A pass by Joe Webb. So, a pass by Joe Webb. Okay, a pass by Joe Webb. And then a run play that was so poorly designed that it got blocked in the backfield for a loss of yardage. I'm, okay, I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm backing up your statement because I'm saying I think the two fourth down plays that we went for happened in the first quarter, so we're 0 for 2. Now, I, I'm not positive it was the first quarter. So first quarter, 0 for 2 on fourth down, that gives McDermott no faith in Dennis no. in the rest of the game. If I'm a head coach going into the over, I'm in overtime, and I know that I need this game to stay alive. I know what I know what the implications are for the playoffs if I lose this game. I'm fucked. So I, I have to trust the, the lesser of two evils. And I've got, on one hand, I've got, I've got to trust an offense that has proven to me so far through this game that you can't convert a fourth down. On the other hand, I've got a defense that is literally outside of one final drive has shut this offense down, locked them out, kept them from getting any kind of... You know, yes, missed field goals have something to do with that, but it doesn't matter because the weather was still a factor. The fact that we had that going for us on the defensive side of the ball, he chose to trust his gut and say, look, this has been working for me all day. This thing hasn't worked once all day. I've tried it twice. It failed both times. I'm not going. So what do I do? This is the thing that I feel like every other uneducated fucking radio caller and everybody out there who wants to bitch and moan about things without doing the research, even the radio hosts who want to complain about this, take a look at what's in front of you, take a look at the statistics, and then make an opinion about it. If I saw, if I was in McDermott's shoes, 
and I saw that I had an offensive coordinator who couldn't come up with a successful play on fourth down twice. He had an opportunity twice, and it failed miserably both times. Okay, I'm not going back to that. Not just because, hey, I don't think we can do it. I don't trust that the guy who's my offensive coordinator has a play that's going to get me that yardage. That's it. That's all it comes down to. I would rather trust the defense that's kept me in this entire game, kept me in the lead right up until the final drive, than trust a guy who's called a game plan that literally worked by the skin of his teeth. God, I had to get that off my chest, Chris. I feel better. I actually feel better about this. I feel a lot better right now because it's 3 nothing Sabres over the Senators. All right. Woo. Cheers, Chris. Cheers to that because the Sabres are trash. <laughs> so as we switch gears here a little bit, this isn't just meant to be a rant. I'm not all negative because obviously the Bills fucking won. One of the biggest takeaways for me for the game was that the rushing attacks of both teams got put on display, and it was really fun to watch that kind of football. It literally is like backyard playground football where you've got some you've got some jerk who's playing quarterback simply because he's either the oldest guy, the tallest guy, or he's just the slowest, so you don't know where else to put him. Well, so we you have run the-, the ball, and you run the ball, and you run the ball, and you just t- – it's, it's everyone – you know, it, it basically both offenses turned into three yards in a cloud of snow. That's what it came down to. When you get the weather like that, you you can't do anything but really rely on your running game. And with the running, we got Frank Gore and Lashawn McCoy. I mean, they carried the load for their respective teams. No, I mean you look at Indianapolis: forty six carries, one hundred and sixty three yards. Gore was thirty six of those carries for one hundred and thirty, but his average is three point six one yards per carry. And that was his uh, most attempts ever in a yep. professional game. Now, on the flip side of the ball, the Buffalo Bills, 51 carries, 227 yards and a touch. LaShawn McCoy, 4.87 yards per carry. Mike Tolbert, 5.33 yards per carry. And a fumble lost! <laughs> Joe Webb, 5.74 yards per carry. Anytime you can get three players on your roster between five and six yards per carry, it gives you a distinct advantage over your opponent. And that ultimately is what turned the tide of the football game. I mean, the, the running game is all either team had. Yeah, when you're getting into <laughs> to second and four, third and four, and then fourth and one, fourth and two, and then Dennison calls the plays on fourth down. And My favorite is the quote from Richie Incognito. Talking to Sports Illustrated Monday morning quarterback, Richie Incognito said, when asked, what was it like to play in a game like that? His response is, the techniques we work on in practice go out the window in a game like that. It was more like a WWF match. I was out there inventing moves. Richie Incognito was out there cheating his ass off, and we all know it. I mean, think about it. This was one of the least penalized games of the week and maybe of our entire season. There was no flags. Yeah, because the refs Because no one see. could see anything. So you could literally just be out there doing whatever it took to move a pile or doing whatever it took to get to the holding calls, not being thrown because no one knows if he's actually being held. You can't friggin' see it. There was a point where Kelvin Benjamin lined up a full yard ahead of the ball for a play. There's a screenshot of it that it, we retweeted it. Go to our Twitter handle, at Report. Kelvin Benjamin is lined up almost a full yard ahead of the ball. And no one knows, not even the line judge who's standing on the sideline, because no one knows where the hell anybody else is on the field. 
it was just an incredible game. And that atmosphere, I think, I think that gave us a distinct advantage just in the sense that, hey, our maulers and our running backs are better than your maulers and your running back. I mean, that's it. That's all either team really had. And in a game where the passing attacks were ultimately a non-factor, except for Nate Peterman's two good passes that resulted in a touchdown, and I guess one pass by Joe Webb that set up the game-winning touchdown run, I mean, that's it. When you look at that, you say, hey, in a game where I needed my running game, my running game versus their running game, we came out on top. Frank Gore didn't break off any 22-yard runs, did he? No. No, he didn't. No, but Colts don't have the depth at running back that we like. You just said it, you know, a couple minutes ago. We're getting three guys over five yards a carry. Colts Colts didn't have that. All they had was Gore. No, and you have I, to rely on on a, on a rotation in a in a game with that much snow. And then one of the most intriguing parts of the game to me was just the roster adjustments. Okay, there has been a shift. There's been small shifts. I know pl- casual fans may not even see it. There's been casual shifts taking on uh, taking place with the roster, and it's really interesting to see because you know defensive adjustments made by each team, and also who got how many snaps, and each of them played a role in the outcome of the game. I mean, from a formational standpoint, what I could see of the game because obviously half of it was just spent staring into a white curtain. A lot of the looks that I saw on defense was just single high safety in a crowded box. But after rewatching the game on all 22 and looking over the snap counts, there's some interesting wrinkles thrown in. First and foremost on defense, Matt Milano. We've been, I've been calling for it. I hate Ramon Humber. I don't like him. I never liked him. I hated him in the preseason. Matt Milano was handed the starting job, and he was fantastic for the Bills. Nine solo tackles, better than any other, any other defensive player on the field for either team. He's already an upgrade over Humber in so many facets of the game. If you uh, go to buffalobills.com and watch Leslie Frazier's Monday press conference, he does state that it's Matt Milano's job right now and Humber's the backup. As he should be. As he should have been for a while. I mean, this move has been a long time coming. To me, it's a great decision on their part. I mean, you look at who we're going to be playing next week, the Miami Dolphins. Kenyon Drake's pass-catching ability and running style, Matt Milano is the type of guy you want out there, not Ramon Humber. Slow-ass, old-ass, no-pass-covering Ramon Humber. And then Eddie Yarbrough. He got the start at defensive end over veteran Ryan Davis. Logged 61% of the snaps at defensive end. Now, this, in my opinion, was driven by a couple factors. First and foremost, the anticipation of a run-heavy game plan from the Colts. To this point through the season, Yarbrough has been a better run defender. But the rest allows Ryan Davis to do what he does best, which is being a pass rusher. It paid dividends. Davis finished with a sack and three tackles, while Yarbrough was very effective in sealing off runs to the outside. Gore pretty much was stuck. He couldn't, you know, he didn't break off any long runs because he couldn't get outside of the tackle box most of the time. And if he did, there was a linebacker there to cut uncovered. You know, there weren't tackles going out to block linebackers because Eddie Yarbrough did his job and and just ate up those blocks. The kid has been playing his balls off, and I think he's a, a huge addition to this football team. And the fact that he's getting more snaps at defensive end is great. 
considering we don't have Shaq Lawson to play that run-stopping edge-setter role. Then you look at Adolphus Washington has officially taken over the, the defensive tackle number two spot behind Kyle Williams. He actually saw two more snaps than Williams did. He also led all defensive tackles with five solo stops. Four of them were against the run. I mean, the guy hasn't been. I mean, when we drafted Adolphus Washington, he was sold to us as a gap penetrator, a pass rusher. People thought he was going to make Kyle Williams obsolete. But there is only one Kyle Williams. Adolphus Washington really hasn't shown much as a pass rusher, you know, in his first two seasons. But he has played well over the last two games. And this uptick in playing time is kind of a sign of that. They're rewarding him by putting him out on the field more often. My hope is that in the offseason, he can kind of turn into more of a complete player, get a little bit of pass rush ability, but I'll take what he's giving me right now. I mean, I know you weren't a huge fan of him, Chris. No, I mean, you could look to coaching. The boy Mike Waffle. Mike Waffle. Mike Waffle. God, that guy is amazing. Seems to be doing wonders on Adolphus. <laughs> I, and that's what we need. We need a guy who can get talent when out of guy get more talent out of guys than we were getting previously. He's got wait, Waffle's got like a, a he's got a military background, right? Oh, absolutely. He was Army. a former Marine. No, well, I'm just saying he's, he's, he's probably helping Adolphus Washington with his his play on the field and uh, anything he needs as far as. Uh, Guns at a water park. Guns at a water park. <laughs> probably what helping him with it. It's probably helping him with that too. What an ass. So on offense, we're gonna switch gears. Mike Tolbert. Fuck that guy. Vastly outsnapped Travaris Cadet. And even with his fumble, was clearly the most productive player. Tolbert was averaging over five yards of carry. He has that downhill running style that in a snowy football game, you saw LaShawn McCoy struggle at times. He wants to make those quick cuts. He wants, you know, guys with speed, the, like if, if speed is what you win with in a football game from a running back perspective, you will struggle in snow games. Luckily, LaShawn McCoy was able to pull it out for us because he's an elite talent at running back. But you look at guys, you look at Frank Gore. Frank Gore did well, but he still only averaged three and a half a carry. Why? Because he doesn't have those quick cuts anymore. He doesn't have the power anymore well i'll tell you tolbert may not have quicks but he's got power and he showed it on his runs he was barreling through people and in fact the only reason he fumbled that ball was it got punched out from behind i i, I understand it's a shitty thing to happen i but, hate that guy <laughs> i hate that guy like i to i honestly on that fumble it felt like it felt like as soon as he trucked that guy it got punched I, out. What are you well, going to do? No, it, it it almost felt like watch at least for me watching on a television. It almost remind it looked like Juju Smith-Schuster standing over perfect. Like he was so proud that he trucked somebody like that. He that wasn't he paying just, attention to the he ball. He wasn't paying attention to the ball. And it when you have I mean Tolbert has strong arms. He ripped a fumble away from Reed earlier this season. <laughs> you should hold on to the goddamn ball. And not let it get punched out like that. Here's what here's what I think, ultimately. Ultimately, when it comes down to it. He's got that type of physical downhill running style that you're going to need in this type of game. Not just this type of game, but in our, one of our next three games, that's it. That's all we have. Guaranteed to be sh- in a sure-footed area with a dry surface. 
down there in Miami. You go to New England right now, it's probably snowing. It's probably going to be a blustery day. The field's probably not going to be the driest. You need a guy who can plant his foot and go. Let his weight carry him. Tolbert did what he could. And the fact that Cadet had four carries and two yards to show for it. You hate Tolbert, but who else did we have to let LaShawn McCoy catch his breath? Yeah, just wait till the draft. We'll get a running back. <laughs> and then, on, sticking with the offensive side of the ball, Deontay Thompson was actually on the field for 85% of the offensive snaps compared to Zay Jones' 61%. Between them, I get it. Deontay Thompson was the only one to record a single statistic, and it was he had one catch, and it was one of the biggest plays of the game for the Bills, that 34-yard catch in overtime that put the Bills deep into Colts' territory, and set up the game-winning touchdown drive. I I don't think that this move was made so much to be a knock on Zay Jones, so much as it is just it's a nod to the fact that, Chris, in a game where footing is going to be difficult, you you no one can really get a bearing on what's going on, and you need a veteran presence. And you also need a couple things. I mean, think about it. Why did the Bills win? The players that really made the difference in the game had a couple advantages. LaShawn McCoy had elite quickness. That's why he outran the linebacker and safety to the boundary and to eventually the end zone. That's how I knew they wouldn't catch him. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin, on his touch, on, on his catch before the end zone and the touchdown catch, what does he have? He has elite size. You can't match up with that because all of the defenders stop chasing Benjamin because they're like, there's no way he's going to catch that ball. But he's six foot five. And he's got a killer reach. So he went out and got that touchdown pass. Deontay Thompson has speed. Something that Zay Jones, to this point, just doesn't have. He's got route running. I mean, that was the thing. The, the, the bill of sale on Zay Jones was that you were getting a receiver who has elite route running ability. He's tough. He can run block. But he, he's not the fastest. You know, he doesn't have that top end speed. Well, I would rather, in a game like this, where traction is going to be hard to come by, and where I just need a flash. I need Because on any one play could win you the game. I'd rather trust my guys with elite talents at speed, size, whatever it may be, you know, agility. I'd trust those guys over a guy who's just all around good. And the Bills did that, and it paid dividends because it put them in a position to win the football game. Ugh. Chris. The Bills are still in the hunt. <laughs> this is the latest that has to have been throughout the entire drought. No, last year we went up to Christmas Eve, and then the Dolphins stomped us out, and that was the end of that. Uh, no, I think the Steelers. I think the Steelers game we did our eulogy. Well, we did. Yeah, here's a podcast. So that brings us, folks, to our hero and zero segment of the week. My zero of the week goes to everyone under the age of 35 who left the stadium at halftime. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Listen, I'm not here to tell you I'm tougher than you or that I think I'm better than you. Or you or have anything. straighter teeth than you. No, because I certainly don't have that. Or movies. <laughs> <laughs> what it comes down to is at some point, even though I'm a hothead, I have a, I have a ferocious temper. But sometimes you got to just dig deep. Sometimes you got you to gotta recognize that you're in an environment like, this is a game that we may never see again in our lifetime. 
Don't you want to be a part of that? Yeah, until, if we until Sunday. A, and if we pull <laughs> off a win, don't you want to be a part of that experience? It's almost like what I think about with the comeback game. For as mad as I would be. Yeah, 9 million people went to that game. For, for as mad as I would be, I don't know that I could bring myself to leave that game on the off chance that I got to see something great. Something truly epic. And I got to see that on Sunday. And so for the rest of you who left, I'm sorry. I, I, I get you. You may have your reasons, whether it's your wife, kids at home. You had to go pick up someone from you, know, you had to dry cleaning. You had, I don't know, or you were just cold and you didn't want to tough it out. That's fine. Leave it to lunatics like me. But I, I'm telling you, I just I, I, I can't understand wanting to leave a game like that. That just just iconic Buffalo game. And then the hero of the game obviously goes, goes to LaShawn McCoy. <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world. Woo! There will come a day when LaShawn McCoy is no longer on this roster. And if we don't have a solid quarterback in place, I fear for that day. Because it will be. I the, fear for it will you. Literally I, fear be, for, I fear for you. <laughs> it will be the dark ages of Buffalo Bills football. Forget the team. I fear for you in that situation. And then, Chris, cue up the drop because I got an honorable mention. Honorable mention for hero of the game goes to Reed Ferguson. <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world. Woo! It was his first ever snow game. First ever time playing in legitimate snow. Okay? Playing in legitimate snow. I can tell you the kid snapped his ass off. I'm not just saying this because he's a friend of the show because, you know. We, I am. I'm saying it because he's a friend of the show. I'm saying it because I, I texted him as I was driving home. Yes, you can crucify me for that if you want. I texted him and I was just like, Reed, you were amazing. Because for a guy who's not used to playing in this type of weather, you would never have known it. Reed was on point with all of his snaps. I think his first one was uh, Colton was in the end zone. So, yeah, Had you to come hot. Yeah, you better you better get you that. Better snap get it off. in there, especially with that snow. And it didn't phase him at all. Props, Chris. Cheers, cheers to Reed Ferguson. So, folks, we are still somehow at this juncture, after everything that we've been through, still alive in the AFC playoff picture. And that brings me to our AFC playoff picture recap. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? Oh, my God. It's painful to talk about. I mean, last week I nixed it all together because I was like, it's done. It is done. I told you that when we were five and two. doesn't matter because right now we're, you know what? I got to bring it back for the sake of the listeners and for the sake of my own sanity because I got to get this stuff off my chest. Yeah, because somehow you still believe. How do I not? Oh, see, Chris, that's what. <laughs> that's what me being more of a realist than you. Yeah, well, your fandom takes over. I'll take my fandom over your realism any day. Suck that bottle cap. So we break it up into three categories. And first off, inching towards clinching the Steelers, the Patriots, and the Jaguars. The Steelers, they're the top dogs in their division, in the conference, and they're a full game ahead of the Patriots. They can come within an inch of locking up home field advantage throughout the playoffs with a win over the Patriots this week. This game is must-watch TV, and it's a fucking travesty that it wasn't flexed into primetime TV so that guys like me who actually attend football games could see it from start to finish. 
I told you that uh, since Dallas is playing on Sunday night, Jerry Jones ain't going to let his team get flexed out of Sunday night. Jesus Christ. I can't wait for that guy to just die. Like the, He's like the crib keeper already. Just stroke out and be done with it. Get out of here. You know who needs to stroke out? It's Brewski. <laughs> that, Brewski, the Patriots. The Patriots are up next at 10-3. and three. Even with Gronk out for the Pats, I got to tell you, something just seems wrong. I don't know, maybe it's their defense that while holding the Bills to just three points is still having their weaknesses exploited. Maybe it's the rash of injuries they've faced, and maybe it's just too much to overcome. Either way, the Patriots are not out of the woods yet in the division. And you know that the only times the Patriots have gone on to advance to the Super Bowl has been when they had home field advantage throughout the playoffs. That's that's what it comes down to for them. I heard uh, this. I was listening to Clay Travis today. He was... I was in and out of it, but he had said something about uh, that opens the door for Jacksonville to get into the top two. It absolutely does. Take for Doug Marone. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to Saint say Doug. Jacksonville. I meant to say for Doug Marone to get into the one or two spots in the playoffs. And the Jaguars, they're 9-3. and three. They are riding a stifling defense and some mediocre quarterback play to wins, and that will likely guarantee them the top spot in the AFC South as no one else in that division looks like it can compete on that level. What's scary to think about is that if the Patriots continue to stumble, okay, and the Jaguars continue to win, they very well could pass the Patriots in line for home field advantage and force the Patriots into the wild card round, which is unheard of. When's the last time that you saw the Patriots play a game in the wild card round of the playoffs? I was probably... I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at the standings. I would say uh, I was probably one <laughs> or six months. The 1985 Chicago Bears, they played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, so I'm assuming the Patriots played uh, on the road somewhere that year. That's just my guess. Dude, you... So, 85? Wow. Excuse me, folks. 85. What I know is this. If you're a New England Patriots fan, you're listening to this right now, I would be very concerned. Well, yeah, if you're a Patriots fan and you're listening to this, first of all, go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, we love everybody, Chris. We just we we just don't love some people as much as others. Okay, when Drew, Drew, when you say we love everybody, you're specifically talking about Christian Simonelli, who comes on our show, <laughs> and no one else. If you're a Patriots fan listening to this, seriously... Go fuck yourself. Actually, we got a listener, Snowy. Snowy from Australia. I love that guy. He's great. Another Pats fan of ours. It's, it's guys, some, they're not all bad. Some of them, a lot of them suck, but mm, some of them are okay. Yeah, we've narrowed it down to two. <laughs> Which brings me to the AFC contenders list. And I'm stuck with three teams all locked up at seven and six. The Ravens, they have the easiest schedule of any team still in the hunt. They play Indy, Cleveland, and Cincinnati. Barring any crucial injuries that are a, they're a lock to land a wild card spot. They have to be. Their defense is sound, and even if their passing game leaves a lot to be desired, their rushing attack has been great. Great with Alex Collins. How much are the Seahawks kicking themselves for letting a guy go who is just tearing it up on Baltimore? No. When their their rushing attack isn't giving them anything. Then you've got the Chargers. 
Seven and six, they are the hottest team in the NFL over the last few weeks. And now we're a very real threat to win their division, which is crazy when you consider that they went 0-3 to start the season. And Kansas City went 5-0 and to begin the season. Bills fans should actually be rooting for this because if they can retake, if the Chargers can retake the top spot in the AFC West, it will push the Chiefs down into the wildcard hunt where the Bills hold multiple tiebreakers over them. I mean, the, the Chargers ultimately get to play the Chiefs, Raiders, and Jets again before the end of the season. I mean, they're not exactly gimmies, but they're, I mean, they're, they're not world beaters. They're I will, not playing I won't anyone be surpri- with a, I will not be surprised if the Chargers win out. I mean, they're playing teams who don't have winning records. That's what it comes down to. And then the Bills. The good news for Buffalo, right now we hold a number of tiebreakers with the teams around us. The Ravens have a worse strength of victory rating, and our conference record puts us ahead of the Chargers, which seems like horseshit when you consider how badly we lost to them. We're not out of things yet, and considering how much has gone wrong this season, it's crazy to think that we're still in a decent position. We still have a shot. We don't control our own destiny, but we're still there. Considering how how poorly everyone thought this season would go, that this was a four-win team, that this was a you know four or five win maximum, you'd be lucky to get out with a you know close to five hundred record. To be seven and six at this point is big. I told you we weren't. I told you earlier tonight we weren't making the playoffs when we were five and two. I'll tell you again, we're not making the playoffs. I'll put a secret on that. All right, I'll take it. Okay, cheers. You, you think we're making the playoffs? Cheers to the Seagram's bet. Cheers. To- no, if we do, you drink it. Oh, it's gonna be so. Good. All right, yeah, because you, you know why? Because you suck at these bets, and I've been winning them all season. I feel you're good. on a losing streak, though. You've lost like the last three Seagram's bets because my fandom is taking over. Yes, and it's taking over right here. <laughs> you know we're not making the playoffs. I will put diabetes on the line, and I will see you in hell. So then it brings us to the AFC pretenders. The Chiefs, 7-6. and six. The Chiefs beat a, a bad Raiders team. It's already seen its defensive coordinator fired. Multiple defensive placer, players placed on IR. I mean, the, the Chiefs, that victory is hollow. <sighs> Since they're by their 1-3, they have a negative turnover differential and have allowed three 100-yard rushing attacks. They have matchups against Miami, Denver, and the Chargers to finish the season, and it's not a lock that they have any shot at keeping pace in the West. The Chargers will likely overtake the Chiefs at this point. This, they have a matchup coming up here shortly. Not this week, but next week, I believe. That's really going to dictate how the West plays out. For that to matter, the Bills have to win this Sunday. Then I add into the Pretenders column the Titans. At 8-5, and five, which sounds crazy because they have a better record than us. I mean, we've spent so long talking about both teams from the AFC South making the playoffs. It almost seems strange to see, hear them included in this list. But having said that, things are getting ugly for Tennessee. It starts with malarkey. Do you trust him? No. No. You're missing the playoffs. They're 2-2 two and two in their last four. And even with their tandem of Hen- uh, Derrick Henry, former Alabama running back, and DeMarco Murray... They've only managed one 100-yard rushing performance in total over that stretch. They're also just sloppy on offense, a negative seven turnover differential. 
They've got games against San Francisco, who's suddenly hot with Jimmy G just leading the San Francisco 49ers, and it's on the road. San Francisco's at home. Then they play the Rams and the Jaguars to round out their season. I don't, I mean, they're stumbling. I don't know that they win a single one of those games. I don't have them, I don't think they'll win either one of those, any of those three games. And I'll tell you, with the way that, because we don't really discuss what happens in the NFC on this podcast, but the LA Rams are in the thick of things of trying to get that top spot in the NFC. So I don't see anything where Goff takes a seat for a game. No. To clinch. And the Jaguars, now that the Patriots lost last night, you know, the Jaguars have to keep winning in order to get, you know, into the number two spot. So I, I don't I don't see the tight I, I see the Titans going eight and eight. What do you know? Malarkey going average. Well that's just it. So they're they're very much a team who could end up at nine and seven, which is crazy because they have eight wins. Think about it, Bills fans. If we could take back any one of our losses during that four game skid, what would which one would you take back? Jets. We would be in the same spot. We'd be in the same spot as the Titans right now. Who are looking at probably ending up eight and eight unless something miraculous happens? I mean, Mariota's trying to play through a knee injury. They're they're just not. They have malarkey. They they have a poor rushing attack right now. They're just not clicking, and it's not working for them. It's it's going to be like I said. This race is still really interesting. And then you've got the divisional matchups, which brings us to this week's AFC East roundup: the New York Jets. <laughs> Broncos 23, Jets 0. Robbie Anderson really let me down in fantasy. The Jets went out to Denver to try and replicate the beating that Miami handed the Broncos a week ago, and I don't know that things could have gone much worse for him. The Jets lost starting quarterback Josh McCown not once, but twice to injury. <laughs> And then, while being shut out, failed to gain over 100 yards of total offense. I mean, that, Chris, 100 yards of total offense. Yeah, I kind of wish, you know, we kind of had the EPL, the English Premier League's uh, way of doing the playoffs. Because they don't actually have playoffs. No, they have relegation. Yeah, so the Jets should get relegated to... The CFL or the UFL <laughs> or the USFL or... Considering there was no blizzard in Denver, less than 100 yards of offense is bullshit, considering LaShawn McCoy outran your entire team. As a team, they only completed eight passes, and between McCown and backup Bryce Petty, finished with a completion percentage of 42% and two turnovers. McCown placed on IR with a broken hand, ends his season. Which sucks because he's having the best season of his career. He doubled, literally doubled his career. He's been in the league, Chris. We talked about it. He was six and twenty-four, or six and twenty-three coming into the season. Either way, it was bad. And now he's actually used this season to tie his career record for wins. Tie his career record for wins. And at the same time, he's now done. He's done for the year. And I think what's even worse for Jets fans is that even with the loss, they're still 11th in the draft order as of this week, which would make obtaining a true franchise signal caller even more difficult in the draft. 
Well, who, who are they playing the rest of the way? Bryce Petty. With, no, well, uh, no, I meant opponents, you asshole. Oh, well, their opponents? Their opponents are rough. I mean, the Jets had the number one strength of uh, – the hardest strength of schedule down the stretch of any team in the NFL. That's great. You didn't even answer my question. Who do they play the last three weeks? Yep, they play the Saints, the Chargers, and the Patriots. Okay, those are all three losses. Two of, two of which are on the road. I mean, I would start putting my rookies out there if I was the Jets just to see what I have. Ultimately, though, here's my, my question for Jets fans who might be listening to this podcast. Josh McCown, there's already talk of him re-signing with the Jets. We all saw how Ryan Fitzpatrick's second season, after almost taking them to the playoffs, his second season didn't go so well. The fact that McCown will come in next season as the de facto starter over a pair of quarterbacks taken in the second and fourth rounds of the draft, I'd be asking myself a question. Do I trust my GM to draft our next quarterback of the future? Because he's he's taken two shots at it and blown them both. Chris, what do you think? Uh, I would probably resign McCown. I, I, I don't think I don't think that if you said they're eleventh in the draft order, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out because I don't see the Jets winning their last three games of the season. You know, they could probably move up in the draft order, but they don't have any draft capital to trade up no. if it's going to be uh, Rosen and Darnold. My question isn't even in the capital. It's it's what who is the guy making the call? Because the guy making the call has already picked two quarterbacks, and both of them were terrible. So <laughs> do I trust that guy to pick another quarterback? Because if, if oh, my God. Imagine if they took a first-round quarterback and he were to just shit the bed hysterically like Mark Sanchez. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to I have to stop because the thought of it is just it, it's hilarious. It's, it, it is hilarious. It I, actually, like, makes me feel warm inside. Like, I just did a shot of whiskey. Oh, and then elsewhere in the division, New England and Miami squared off on Monday Night Football. Just when you thought you knew what a good football team was and what a bad football team was, a game like Last night's game happens and leaves you just questioning everything you thought that you know. My my one question because it, it's gonna it's gonna come up for us with Miami because we play them Sunday and then we play them on the thirty first. That happened with New England and Miami. They played two weeks ago. Like, is there anything to that with Miami figuring out what New England was doing? I or, I don't I, even think it's that. I mean, they just completely and wholly outplayed them on both sides of the football. That's it. I think the sad thing of last night's game was that uh, no one was there to see it. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's hundred, there, there's thousands of Bills fans sitting in a Blizzard stadium, and meanwhile, you, they can't get that many people to show up at Hard Rock Stadium. Yet the Dolphins fans want to get after us, talking about how they think they have a better fan base. Hilarious. From the start of the game for the New England Patriots, things went poorly. I mean, he threw a pick on his first possession. Their first possession, he threw a pick. It was it Xavier Howard? Xavier Howard Didn't hit he have two. two. He had two. He had two. And it never got better from there. I mean, it's the first time that I can recall seeing Tom Brady go 0 for 11 on third down. How does that happen? What kind of magic snake oil did you rub on these defenders to make them able to stop Tom Brady on third down? That's fucking horseshit. 
<laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, not only did the pressure get to Brady in a way that I haven't seen since the time that he played the Broncos for the AFC title, but I've honestly never seen throws that poor from Tom Brady. Maybe, I mean, his, age, maybe his age is catching up. There was a lot I of hope passes. There was true. a pass. There, were, there was a couple passes in particular that I could, I could still picture them. Picture the slow motion replays in my mind where they're like, oh, this pass was short. That pass was short. And I'm watching them come out of his hand like fucking lame ducks. They're just wobbling, butterflying in the air, which is not a Tom Brady throw. A Father Tom time's Bra- here. No, what it is is he has an Achilles injury. Now he has a back injury. He's missing practice time. I, Tom Brady Tom Brady is now 1 and 4 in Miami in the last 5 games there. And you know I don't Bill, get that. Bill Belichick was his, you know, understandably salty about it in meetings with the media this week. Meanwhile, on the opposite side of the ball, you've got Cutler. He drove the Dolphins down the field, crisp passing, crisp, hot. He was throwing tight spirals, and even when he fucked up, Yes, he looked he looked like a frat boy. He looks like a drunk, overweight college like just college kid. But whoever is the offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins put together a hell of a game plan. I mean, they literally just they ate, they spread the they spread the Patriots out and then ate them alive in short area passes that generated yards after the catch. That's literally what every drive was. We're gonna spread you out make you commit to something, and then we're going to throw it to one of our guys. And if we, It's like a basketball game. Jay Cutler played point guard and just distributed the ball to guys within the five- to seven-yard range. And when he did that well, those guys went out and made plays, made hay after the catch. And that's what won the game, was the fact that they continued to convert on those types of passes. I mean, it's incredible. They abused using specifically the one wrinkle I remember seeing and just putting in my head for later was that they used Kenyon Drake split out wide as a wide receiver multiple times, waiting for a linebacker to come out and follow him, knowing that Kenyon Drake, former Alabama line, former Alabama running back, could and would burn that guy in open space. And that's how it happens. That is why my uh, fantasy team lost in my money league. It's because I went up against Kenyon Drake. I had 24 points. And I even noticed that because, well, I noticed that the second time it happened because John Gruden pointed it out for me. (laughs) Hey, look, there's this linebacker on a running back. They're going to go to Kenyon Drake. And then they just chuck one down the sideline. I'm like, oh, that's the play. Now I'm I'm out of potentially playing for $700. Thank you. <laughs> and on the flip side of the ball, the defensive, the the, the Dolphins were aggressive. They were, uh, they didn't allow the Pats running backs to get into the passing game. And they deserve a pat on their back for not only multiple takeaways, but the fact that they beat the shit out of Tom Brady over the course of those, the course of those four quarters. Tom Brady is one of the most hit quarterbacks in football at this point. I mean, he's been hit 71 times the most of any quarterback who is still in the playoffs. You see him missing practice time. He's got a, he's got an Achilles injury. Now he's got a back injury. He's not practicing two days a week. Maybe you can point to Gronkowski's absence. Maybe you can point to the fact that Brady continues to lie about these injuries and his health 
while missing multiple multiple practices a week. I maybe it's just a fluke. I don't care what they say up north. Something is wrong with the New England Patriots. Things are coming. The injuries, I think, are finally coming to a head. And I think Brady's on the verge. He's right there. Those passes were bad. He's not. I mean, he's never been a a fleet-footed quarterback. But he's slow in the pocket. And he's taking hits because of it. It reminds me a lot of Brett Favre at the end of his career. Jets, I think Brett, Jets, Brett Favre, or Vikings, Brett Favre? Vikings, Brett Favre. I think we're actually in the process of watching the downfall of Tom Brady. Hopefully it's and next he could, year. And who knows? He could he could tell me to go fuck myself, fix it next week, and come out looking like the elite quarterback that he's been all year. Maybe he just needs to put more kale in his diet. But at the same time, I wouldn't put money on that. Meanwhile, you've got the Finns who just had their best game of the season. So the question becomes, are they for real? Or are they still the same inconsistent team that they've been all season? And so that brings us, folks, to week 15. Jesus, a, who thought that a crucial week in the Buffalo Bills season would end up Bills versus Miami once again? Here's the, here's the dedicated info. Time, 1 p.m. Weather couldn't be worse than last week. <laughs> Injuries for the Buffalo Bills. Tyrod Taylor is questionable. Kelvin Benjamin, questionable. Nathan Peterman, questionable. For Miami, you've got Cordrea Tankersley, questionable with an ankle injury. Damian Williams, questionable with a shoulder, probably out. German, German Bushrod, questionable with a foot injury. And Matt Moore, questionable with a foot injury. Now, that leaves him with almost no backup quarterback. I mean, the Miami Dolphins, they've been the bane of our existence, but also, I mean, there's some years we sweep them, some years they sweep us. It's like we've been trading punches like just boxers. I guess there's, there's, I can't do this preview of the Dolphins alone, so that way, this week, we have a special guest that we're bringing to the show. Travis Wingfield. Honestly, I think it's more of a function of Adam Gaze and what he means to this offense. Thirdand10.com. Kenny Stills does a lot for clear out routes. Locked on Dolphins podcast. Are we worried about Ryan Tannehill not being consistent? But this is Miami, pal. Folks, we have Travis Wingfield in the house with us tonight to discuss the Miami Dolphins. Travis, how you doing tonight? I'm doing quite fantastic riding the highs off that big victory on Monday night over the New England Patriots. How you doing yourself, Drew and Chris? <laughs> I was I was doing well until I watched that football game. I actually fell asleep for a part of the third quarter when things were close. And then I woke up and saw you guys had 27 points. I was like, what the fuck happened? What? What, <laughs> what did I miss? Oh, how is this? Is this real life? Am I dreaming? Oh, folks, for those of you who don't know, new to the show, Travis Wingfield. Travis, you live on the West Coast, but you're a fan of the Miami Dolphins. You've been a longtime writer about them. You currently work for FanRag Sports, and you do the Locked on Dolphins podcast, correct? That's all correct. All right, so where can folks find your work at either one of those outlets? Yeah, just go to LockedOnDolphins.com for anything Dolphins-related. Uh, the same thing with the podcasts on Apple Podcasts as well. And then on Twitter, at Wingfield NFL is where all the gifs and takes and live tweeting and all that good stuff that I do game days and throughout the course of the week. So 
Guys, he is one of our if, – if we're going to talk Dolphins with anybody, we talk it with Travis because he just seems to really know what he's talking about. The one thing that I don't like about Travis is the fact that uh, – I got to ask, Travis, are, two questions. One, are you going to wear that uh, Jay Ajayi jersey of yours during this week's game? <laughs> That's been shelved. That's been shelved it's forever. Been shelved forever. <laughs> I was going to say, it wasn't very flattering. The second question is, are you finally lifting weights at the gym? I, you know, I get those little five-pound weights that the old ladies use. I've been using those a little bit just to get my pump on a little bit. I know you guys <laughs> Guys, I've been busting Travis's chops for forever. Travis is a very fit dude. He plays shortstop in softball. But I, 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 I make fun of him because I say he has the physique of a uh, women's volleyball player. <laughs> so, Travis, now that we've got you on the show for the first time this season, I've got a few questions. And I guess it's the season review Q&A. And I guess I wrote these questions before you guys dominated the Patriots, so forgive me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, the Dolphins, they came into the season with plans of building off last season's playoff berth. But that kind of failed to materialize over the early part of the season. Now, obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into that. I just want to ask about a few of them. First and foremost, of all of the injuries besides the one to Tannehill, which of your team's ailments do you think has impacted your performance the most? I'd probably say the rookie that got hurt on the very first punt of the very first drive of the very first preseason game back in August, Rayquan McMillan. He was supposed to kind of come in and stabilize the defense from a run defense perspective, or from a run defense standpoint, I should say. And they played very well in the beginning of the season, but then they kind of they lose him. Lawrence Timmons has a little bit of a you know early season adventure in Los Angeles down there, <laughs> and they're trying they're trying to fill. Uh, Ray Maluga's role, who had a couple of good games as a run stuffer, but McMillan was supposed to be this two-down run stopper, and I think he had, he's doing a little bit more than that in terms of a guy that can cover and do things at linebacker spot, and that's been a big weakness for the Dolphins this year and in many years before this as linebacker, and Kiko Alonso, as you guys know, is not that good of a football player, and I think that <laughs> McMillan probably would have eaten into his snaps as the, as the season went on here uh, if he was healthy, but so losing him was a big one, and obviously you mentioned Tannehill. I won't go into that because you guys know how I feel about that one. Uh, Travis, uh, where can I find some cocaine? <laughs> uh, not in the Dolphins facility anymore. You used to be able to. You used to be able to. I love the fact. You know what? I love the fact that that happened in a franchise that's not Buffalo because we really couldn't sustain any more nonsense. <laughs> we literally had no more room for nonsense. <laughs> so to hear that it happened to Miami, I'm like, this is something straight out of Miami Vice. Crockett and Tubbs should have been there to lock that guy up. Now, much like the Patriots trade of Jimmy Garoppolo, the Dolphins made headlines by trading away standout running back Jay to the Eagles for a fourth-round draft pick. I want to know, what was your personal reaction to that? I was upset at first because, obviously, coming into the year, he has these basically three games where he runs for 200 yards, two against you guys, that he basically <laughs> won. On most, mostly his own accord. I mean, I thought Tannehill played well in the first Buffalo game and also the Pittsburgh game, but then obviously the game with Matt Moore late in the year, he helped win that game. But I think they really rode that running that running style, and it just the way he kind of ran through tacklers and kind of invigorated the offense was fun to watch. So I was upset because I lost one of my favorite players. But then the reports start coming out about his attitude, what kind of guy he is. And even I, I talked about this with you guys before the show, how I had an interview with Joe Shad, and he talked about how Jay Ajayi was just not a very nice guy and you know telling the coach to go F himself and – all this stuff oh, that wow. just equals, adds Jesus. up to a guy that just doesn't belong there. And now you see Kenyon Drake emerging as a player that he's become the last couple of weeks. And there's much more 
ingenuity in the offense. There's a lot more creativity with the schemes and the formations and the running sets. And there's there's a, a whole bunch <laughs> more creativity in the running game. Uh, so I've come around to thinking that this trade was really a win for both teams because the Dolphins are getting more production and the Eagles got themselves a good player too. So I'm, I'm okay now, but at first, not thrilled. Now, you're not telling me anything I don't know. I've watched Kenyon Drake's entire career. At Alabama, he was one of the most electric running backs, and he was the he was the greatest change of pace back. Him and TJ Yeldon in the backfield were two very different backs, but they put defenses on their toes. They were incredible together. And so to see him replicating that in the NFL is just kind of a, I don't know, in my mind it boosts what Alabama does with their running backs. It's like, I look, know, look at Trent Richardson. <laughs> look at Mark Ingram. Look at, uh, well, I shouldn't say look at Eddie Lacy. I mean, he's. <laughs> he's fat. He, he's literally eaten his way out of the NFL. But ultimately, <laughs> there, he was a productive back, and I was jealous when you guys got him, and even more so now that you're actually utilizing him to the fullest of his potential. So, moving on, the team has been, for the Dolphins, extremely inconsistent this season. One week, you win. You know, you, you come back in monstrous fashion against the Jets. And the next week, you get shut out and look like a rowboat with one oar. <laughs> Fans fell in love with Adam Gase last season for turning around the focus and mentality of the players, quote-unquote. So I got to ask, leading up to Monday night, what was the feeling on him? And now what is it after the fact? The feeling for myself and the fan base could not be more different, I think. I think there was a lot of fans. I mean, you go off Twitter. That's not a really good example, but that's where I get a lot of my fan reactions from. So that's what I'm going off of here. And Twitter, people were kind of – there was a lot of folks saying, like, oh, he's a one-and-done. He's a one-year wonder. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's All these these mistakes. And he has had some mistakes this year. I think he's you know eaten a bit of humble pie in the sense of that he's not this all-knowing genius that is just impervious to failure. But – I think before the game, you were worried about some of his commitment to guys that he's had in the past that just aren't that good of football players. You mentioned Jermon Bush off the top in the injury report. Yep. He's a bad football player, especially at guard. He's been bad for the two years he's been in Miami, but he's been hurt, and now we're getting great production out of the right guard. So he, it takes an injury for him to pull out of a guy that he prefers. You have the same situation with Julius Thomas at tight end. Ted Larson, the left guard, is a dumpster fire. He, he, he might as well be a turnstile out there. So he has this, like, this tie to these players that are part of his past. I think that's one of his biggest weaknesses. But at the end of the day, he's one of the, the most you know creative offensive minds in the game. That's why the Dolphins hired him. He's got a great personality, a great attitude, a great head coach's mentality. And I couldn't be more thrilled that he's a Dolphins coach because you watch that game on Monday against the Patriots, and that looked like Andy Reid week one against the Patriots with all the jet sweep motions excuse me, the bootleg rollouts and just kind of the variance within the matchups and finding mismatches on the, on the defensive side of the football and attacking them. No, and that's and that's a great thing to point out is the fact that your team has still maintained this. Listen, things have gone wrong, but we're trying to figure it out. Now, when you're four and two as a football team and you fall to where you've fallen, things have gone wrong somewhere. I mean, think about the losing streak you guys had, and then you have this game where you just unleash hell on the New England Patriots. If you had to pick two factors that you think contributed to that slide over the last month or so, what do you think they'd be? I would say the quarterback play was always number one. I mean, you guys know how I feel about Tannehill v. Cutler. It's not even close in my opinion. And Cutler had a hell of a game on Monday. And, you know, 
the more I looked at it, the more I broke down the offensive scheme. There was really a lot of wide open players just that were open because of the scheme more than just the talent of the quarterback. And he made himself, he made his fair share of plays himself too, but you can play within the scheme and you can still have a good night. I think that's what happened on Monday. But over that course of those games, Matt Moore played terribly in his two starts against the Patriots and Ravens. Jay Cutler had a game against the Buccaneers where he had three picks in the first, almost the first quarter. And he was just like trying to throw balls to the red jerseys at that point. And that's a game that the Dolphins would have won if they had, I don't know, Chris Krueger playing quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> I got a hell of an so, arm, I'll tell you that. So when it, comes to, when it comes to trying to preview the Bills versus Dolphins matchup, there's a couple different facets of the team. We're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. And it starts with your passing attack. We saw it on full display on Monday Night Football. I mean, a lot of the early season, op- season optimism was that you guys had so many weapons that who else could contend with you? I mean, a dominating downhill runner, a pass catcher out of the backfield in Kenyon Drake, three wide receivers that could stretch one that could in Kenny Stills that could stretch the field, Jarvis Landry who can who is probably the best slot receiver in the AFC, and Parker who is finding his way but is a sizable boundary receiver. You guys had weapons on weapons. And it didn't pan out that way over the early course of the season. Yet now they're starting to find their roles and there's still a lot of talent there. So I guess if the Bills were looking to contain your passing attack, which of those receiving options do you think they need to prioritize in coverage? I think Kenny Stills has to be the first one just because of his big playability. And you talked about Devontae Parker, and I could not be more sour on Devontae Parker right now. He can't separate at all. He can't be at one-on-one coverage. The, the Patriots rolled a lot of coverage to Stills and Landry in that game, and Parker had a lot of chances in one-on-one, and he could not get off coverage whatsoever to save his life. So I think that he's trending more towards bust than anything other than that at this point of his career. But I would say you start with Kenny Stills and those deep shots, and you try to bracket him as best you can because he's kind of one of those sneaky route runners. I know that's funny to say for a guy that's as fast as he is, but he can get open like in a sneaky way where he kind of lulls defenders to sleep and then gets beyond them, beyond them. And obviously Jarvis Landry, you know, you guys know what he can do with a ball in his hands. And if you, if you don't, you know, if you, the best way to keep Landry from making any noise is by having him catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage to where when he breaks those tackles and it like goes for a yard or two because if he gets the ball down the field, he can make a guy miss and all of a sudden he's off to the races for a 15, you know, 25, 35, 40-yard gain, whatever it is. So those are the two guys you start with. And obviously the passing game with Kenyon Drake, I don't know if you guys watched the game on Monday in its entirety, but he shredded the Patriots in the passing game and he even ran a vertical route on the perimeter for like a 40-yard gain. So, I mean, Kenyon Drake is probably the number one guy you got to stop in the, in the offense and then I would say Kenny Stills and Jarvis Landry. Well, yes. that, well, I know that all too well because I tweeted <laughs> yesterday I lost my fantasy matchup because of Kenyon Drake. Thank you. Now, Travis, uh, Travis, you owe me seven hundred dollars. You owe me seven hundred. I told you to expect this. I mean, at least you knew it was coming. He warned you. He warned you that you were going to rue the day that you went up against Kenyon Drake. And guess what? Alabama rule tie. Woo. <laughs> I'll take that one. I'll get behind that. So now, I guess. The last, I, when it comes to passing formations, what is it the Dolphins seem to do well in the passing game? Because some games they struggle to get anything going. Some games it's like they have everything working for them. When they're working at their best, what formations are they doing it out of and what can the Bills look forward to seeing a healthy dose of come Sunday? 
I think Sean McDermott has his work cut out for him in terms of what he's going to be able to prepare for. Because, like I said, on Monday, it was like it was a brand new offense, it seemed like. There was a variations of different like jet sweeps. I, I went over the whole list. You guys heard it. But they just had – they rolled out this whole new scheme. They brought a lot more Jakeem Grant into the game, and he actually caught an awesome touchdown pass. And he almost caught a second down the field, but just about had to go off his fingertips. But they, they showed a lot of different looks in terms of – getting the defense moving horizontally before the snap to kind of keep them off balance. That's what the speed with Drake and and Grant has done for the Dolphins. But for the most part, it's always a three-by-one set where you have Julius Thomas on the, uh, I guess, I don't know if you call it the weak side, strong side, but he's the he's the Y-ISO isolated to one side of the formation with three mm-hmm. three receivers, Stills, Parker, and Landry to the other mm-hmm. side of the trips there. And they'll bunch them, they'll motion them, they'll shift them, they'll do all kinds of different things. So typically they're going to load up one side of the field with the receivers and then go the tight end on the back side of the field. That's see, that's dirty. That's dirty play calling. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see how our defense responds. Now in the rushing in the rushing game, Kenyon Drake is the story of your guys' season. You know, you trade away Jay Ajay and everyone thinks, oh God, our, we'll never run the ball again. Well, guess what? Another Alabama running back in the backfield. He does what Alabama running backs do, which is run the damn ball. Run the damn ball. Now, is he better between the tackles, off tackle? I mean, is he strikes me as a guy who's better out in space, almost like a LaShawn McCoy type. If he can, if he can find space, he'll, he'll take it. And that's where he's the most productive. Am I wrong in that assumption? Uh, yes and no. I, I think that one of the reasons they, they got rid of Ajayi was because his reluctance to run anything besides outside zone. I think this offensive line is more suited for inside zone where you kind of press the hole inside. And that's where a lot of his big runs have come from. That spin move he put on, I don't know who it was. He put on a spin move on someone last night for a, just a ridiculous long game to set up a touchdown run. And he, he always gets a, does a good job of, of condensing the box by pressing the hole inside and then kicking it outside. So Yes, in the sense that his big runs do come where he bounces outside like that, but no, from the sense that he is a, a pretty physical guy that can bounce it in or that can, you know, smash it in there and create those holes in the outside lanes. Now, there's one question I got to ask about your offense before we switch gears turnover disparity. I mean, that's one of the most curious things I've seen when I look over the stats for Miami. You guys still have a sizable disparity, even though you guys got two turnovers last night. You're still negative eight over, <laughs> over the course of the season. And while your defense has been active in the, these recent games, you're still a minus, you know, a minus two over the last couple. I guess I could ask, what is it that's causing these turnovers on offense? Like what? Because this is a defense for the Buffalo Bills that feasts on turnovers. Like, that's what feeds us. We almost had a couple if the defenders could have seen the ball. They got their fingers on them. They got their hands on them. But it's snowy. We couldn't bring them in. What do you guys think you're going to do differently that you won't turn the ball over? And I guess I got to ask, what is it that caused it early on in the season? Yeah, just real quick on your guys' defense. Trey White was one of my favorite players in the draft, and Mike Ohio was one of my favorite players in free agency. So I'm jealous you guys got both of them, and they're just ball hawks and studs out there. But, um, the, you know, the, that game on Monday was the first time all year the Dolphins didn't have a turnover on offense. So that's, I know. <laughs> that's a pretty good Oh, I saw it. <laughs> pretty good stretch to break there. But, I mean, like I said earlier, it starts at the quarterback. You know, Jay Cutler, he's always made curious decisions, and it's been the case this year too. And it just it seems like the worse the offense gets, the more he gets into these funks where he makes poor decisions. Don't mind the baby in the background, by the way. 
Uh, and, then, and then I would say Devonte Parker. He, uh, you know, you guys talked about him kind of having this season where he's supposed to emerge, and it just hasn't been the case. And there was a stretch before the Monday night game. I don't know what hit the numbers were on Monday night. Obviously, we didn't turn the ball over at all. But he had five of his previous seven targets were picked off, and two of those were right off of his hands. And he had a couple more drops in that game last night. So I would say Jay Cutler and Devontae Parker are the biggest culprits at this point. Wow. And then Kenyon Drake, is, for as good as he's been, his ball security could be a lot better. Rolling. Man. Now on the flip side of the ball, your run defense. Last season, the Dolphins were in rough shape by the end of the season at linebacker. And it led to them, you guys just hemorrhaged yards on the ground. Even during some of the games that you won. Now having said that, this season, there was talk of fixing that with the draft capital and free agent dollars that you spent to the position. But over the last six games, not counting Monday Night Football, you're averaging 150 yards allowed on the ground, and you've given up four rushing touchdowns. I mean, considering we don't know who our quarterback's going to be, we know there's going to be a ton of running come Sunday. The Bills run well off left tackle to the outside, and up the middle. I mean, what have... I guess I want to ask about your defense. What is it that has been plaguing the run defense up until Monday Night Football that has allowed these statistics to kind of, I don't know, kind of just exist? I think there's a variety of things. That's obviously going to be the case anytime you get that many yards. But it started with the Carolina game you mentioned. Well, at least, okay, it started in the Baltimore game, really, because the Ravens did a great job of capitalizing on Dominick Sue's aggressiveness and his ability to slant in real quick. And they were just kind of like letting him take himself out of the play by doing that and then pulling those guards or centers and getting outside the tackle box there and taking advantage of the Dolphins' weaknesses at defensive end because Andre Branch, Cam Wake, these guys are not great run defenders. The Dolphins lost William Hayes a few weeks back for the entire season. He's a fantastic run defender, yes. and he's been absent. His, his presence has been missed for sure. Devon Godshaw came back last night in that game, and he had played really well in that game. The rookie fifth-round pick from LSU, but he his absence was felt. And then Jordan Phillips, you talked about the Dolphins' consistency issues. My God, that guy is either an all like Hall of Fame type of player one week, and then the next week he's like not even rosterable. So his inconsistency can contribute to that. And then also safety TJ McDonald. You know he came back and was a little bit rusty off the start in his first couple of games, but since then he has been on fire and he's been fantastic playing kind of that Rashad Jones role. And Rashad Jones has kind of slid back into more of a a true free safety role. So it's been fun to watch that uh, evolution of those safeties back there. So if the Bills were looking to exploit some crack in your defense in the rushing attack, where should they go? I think the best way to do it, and if you guys have Tyrod Taylor, that, the Dolphins aren't going to beat Tyrod Taylor. That's He always runs all over us and throws all over us. So that's how, how I feel about his status. And if he plays, I'm worried. If he doesn't play, I'm going to be pretty excited about the game. But those kind of zone read where the, or outside zone plays where you can attack the defensive ends and make them make a decision because the Dolphins don't really love to set the edge out there. Cam Wake and Andre Branch want to get upfield and rush the quarterback. They don't like to play the run. So attacking those defensive ends on either side of the formation with that speed and McCoy and Tyrod Taylor would be lethal. Fantastic. And then I got to note that if we're talking about the Dolphins defense, your pass rush is on fire the last couple games. You guys have eight sacks in two games. That's pretty. It's it's pretty notable, considering you played the Broncos. Yeah, you played the Broncos, but you also played the Patriots. <laughs> what I'll say is, is where is your pass rush coming from, and what are the things that we really need to look for as Bills fans when it comes to going into this game and 
kind of worrying about our offensive line. I don't know if I can predict it for you guys because at the start of the year, you were getting a lot of one-on-one wins between Cam Wake and Dominic and Sue. You know, Charles Harris has done a good job getting pressures. They just haven't resulted in sacks yet. But they were doing a good job just winning one-on-ones. But in the game last night against the Patriots, you know, we all know that Tom Brady struggles with pressure right up his face. So the Dolphins did a great job of disguising a bunch of A-gap blitzes, whether it was cross-dog blitzes or showing a guy and backing out and having the defensive ends drop out and sending the pressure up the middle. So a lot of different looks from Matt Burke's defense. It was nice to see the defensive coordinator kind of have more of a change-up in his game plan this week opposed to just kind of, you know, going by the same old motion and running these zone coverages rather than the press man they played. So I think... Pressing press man on the outside has been the change the last two weeks. They've played a lot of bump and run up in that uh, against the Patriots as well as the Broncos. In the past, it was soft zone. So that's kind of helped the pass rush have a little more time to get home. So I'd say the cornerback play and more creative blitzes. Really? Wow. All right. Well, guys, we've come to the prediction portion of the podcast. Now, I'm going to start with you, our guest, Travis. What do you? What is your prediction for the final score on Sunday? I gotta ask you first. Do you got? I mean, this, we're doing this on Tuesday night, so I know the injury reports aren't really. Uh, <laughs> oh no! You know, yeah, update. there's no report out. So I mean, it, like I said, it comes down to Tyrod Taylor, if you ask me. And if if he's if he plays and it, and it's not 100 percent healthy, where he can't move around, I think Miami wins by seven or ten. If he is healthy and plays, I would say it's the complete opposite. So I would say like a 27-17 game, based on a healthy Tyrod Taylor or not, depends on who wins. Wow. See, now, I personally said that I preferred the way Nathan Peterman played last week because he th- he threw the ball accurately. He didn't get flustered in the pocket. He hung in when things were tough. I don't know. I think that the Bills... Chris, what's your prediction? Give it to me. Okay, my, well, my prediction... I, know, I see your face. My per- well, I, I see you I, want to give it. Well, I talked about it earlier. My per- Nathan, <laughs> Nathan Peterman's not playing. He's got a concussion. He's not playing. I put a Seagram's on that, and you said no to that. Uh, and it comes down to either Tyrod or Joe Webb. I honestly think it's going to be Joe Webb that plays. So I, it's, I think Miami will win the game and put a. <laughs> what's, put a this, what's your prediction for the score? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say I, I'd say thirteen to ten, Miami, and I'm thirteen I, to ten. Yeah, I think. Uh, you don't know what the weather is going to do. I it's love December. How, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can I point out that he said Joe Webb is terrible, but then he calls it 13 to 10. Yeah, he's <laughs> going to get us one touchdown by turning around and handing it to Shady. Okay, but yet somehow the Dolphins aren't going to score more than 13? No. <laughs> with, if it's a, a bad... If with it's a quarterback a, who can't throw the ball and complete first downs and depletes his defense <laughs> and wears him out... Chris, this is why I do what I do and you do what you do. I love you. I love you, brother. All right. Okay. So My prediction, quarterback by quarterback. If Joe Webb plays, I'm literally not staying past halftime because I'm going to go <laughs> home to watch the Patriots play the Steelers because that's real football. That's yeah. real <laughs> yeah. meaningful football. If Nathan Peterman starts, I honestly believe that they have an ability to hang with you guys. If Tyrod Taylor, this is what, and to your point, if Tyrod Taylor is healthy, now this is what I said earlier in the podcast, when he's healthy, he's great. And when he has that lateral and, you know, he, when he has, a, he has his agility about him, he has the ability to make big plays. If that's gone, then I don't want him out there on the field because that is his asset. 
His arm isn't anything to brag about. He's not accurate. You know, in this short intermediate passing game, he's not the most accurate quarterback. I couldn't I, agree more with you. So, if if he's compromised in any way, shape, or form, if they really don't think that Tyrod can go out there and run around, then I'd like to see Peterman. And I still like our chances with Peterman under center. I like it by a field goal. I'll call it, I don't know, because mm, I, I feel like your run defense is suspect given the last couple games you've had. I'm going to call it a 27-24 win so, for the uh, Buffalo Bills. We set that as, as Seagram's. Sure. Over under, over under twenty six. Sure. There we go, Travis. You heard right. it. Heard it here first. That's the Seagram's bet. Right. You have the over, and I have the under of twenty six. Yep. Over twenty six. All right, Travis. Where are you on social media? And I'd like you to plug anything that you're doing <laughs> after the season. After the season, because if any of our Bills fans are like me and desperately want that quarterback, I know you have. Plans in the offseason for draft prep, draft prep on the quarterback. So uh, where are you on social media, and what are you doing with the quarterback position uh, come draft time? Yeah, 100%, man. It's at Wingfield NFL on Twitter. It's, uh, you know, like I said, takes and just a bunch of good stuff throughout the course of the week. And then uh, Locked On Dolphins for Dolphins content. And then I will reboot 3rd10.com. You guys heard in the intro. That will become up this offseason when I have a little more time to do that with, uh, you know, my time off from work and everything. So I check that out for all the college stuff and I'll, I'll get into the quarterbacks. And I love looking at, you know, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen, all, you know, you know, you don't got to hear the names. Um, so I'll go into those guys in detail and then, yeah, just locked on dolphins and uh, at Winkle NFL at Wingfield NFL follow Travis. He's got the locked on uh, dolphins podcast on the locked on podcast network. Drew, it is here next week. Hey, happy Festivus, everyone. <laughs> Folks. One of my favorite times of the year. Now, I started this I started this on a whim during the very first year we ever podcasted just because it made me happy. I'd been watching a lot of Seinfeld at the time, and I, I love Festivus. But there's something that I think kind of speaks to Bills fans, which is the airing of grievances. Yeah, what other team in the NFL has as much grieving to do as we do? <laughs> so, folks, this week... Up until our next podcast, be sure to tweet us, message us, email us, rockpowerreport716 at gmail.com. Let us know the things about the 2017 Buffalo Bills that really just grind your gears. What we do, we we crack beers. Nate Geary's going to be here to enjoy it with us. We'll read them together. We'll talk about them. Over a bed of Christmas music, and we're going to laugh and we'll toast to them. Why? Everyone thinks, oh, you guys are just getting together to have a bitch session. No, it's a cleansing. It really is just getting it all off your chest. Because why take all that negativity into a new year with you? There's no point for it. There's, there's no point to do it. So why don't you guys tune in, you know, get a hold of us, and then tune in on December 19th when we have our Festivus celebration. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, and uh, the person that has the best grievance. You know, if we can't decide on one together, if Nate is going to be here, then Nate will be the tiebreaker. Winner gets $20 to Wise Guys Pizza. Wise Guys Pizzeria. Listen, speaking of wise guys, there's a couple days left in their Toys for Tots drive. I just went there tonight, dropped off all my toys, 
Got a couple gift certificates. We're going to be raffling them off because I believe in supporting local businesses. I'm not going to take his charity. But at the same time, this is an opportunity for you guys. Show up to Wise Guys Pizzeria on Seneca Street in South Buffalo. You donate a toy worth $10 to $15. You get a certificate for a free large pizza. You're going to be helping out some kid somewhere who may not get a Christmas. And at the same time, you're going to fill your belly with some of the best pizza in the Buffalo area. I, I tell you this. I ordered pizza after the Sunday Night Football game. Yeah, I was driving home from the stadium. I said, hey, I'm going to pick up pizza and fingers. I got home. I was pissed off that it wasn't as good as Wise Guys. Trust me when I say it's worth it. You got to come down here and check them out and help support a great cause. I mean, you're talking about kids on Christmas. Guys, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report.